If you were to consider headline news to be all that you had a worldview of, you would end up with a worldview of planes gone missing, 239 lives missing and or lost. Murders, lawsuits, scandals. And if you're lucky, you might come across some good news about a man who might have won the jackpot in Kansas. However, it seems that things are just hopeless if this world is all that we have. I imagine King Solomon would have had no problem calling all these things useless vanity. On your way here, you may have had to swerve out of the way of a bunch of drunk people stumbling through the streets as they are their lives, mumbling, humanity is hopeless. This is St. Patrick's Day. I say all of that to explain to you tonight that Blue Point Bible Church exists to be a beacon of hope. The people of God are called to be representation of an alternative reality. Another world is possible. I imagine many of us get excited when we hear the terms reformation, revival, revolution, change, solution, healing. These words of anticipation keep us on the edge of our seats to see what will happen next. But the problem is, why do these things always seem to happen after the fact, rather than when we desire them? Just think about that. I surely cannot be the only one who has expressed some frustration with the common encouragement to have patience through struggle. It will soon be over. The rainbow shines after the rain. Yeah, yeah, we all get it. But why does it have to be that way? Why can't I have the reward or what I'm looking for right now? Why can't the good experience, the solution, the healing come right when I need it or when I desire it? I'm sure I'm not the only impatient one here. I say all of that to tell you, I believe the reality Christians are called to exhibit is exactly that. A healing right on time. A solution in the midst of the problem. I want to read through Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Well, actually, I'm going to pick through some of the chapters. And I want to explain some things. So please turn with me to Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But for the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, immoral persons, and sorcerers and idolaters and all the liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, came and spoke with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. 
having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of clear, crystal clear jasper. It had a great and high wall with twelve gates. The gates were twelve angels. At the gate were twelve angels. And the names were written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. And then it goes on to describe the temple. If you will, go down to verse 22. I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illuminated it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, there will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed, and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of the street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. The throne of the God and the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of light or a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illuminate them. And they reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. The Lord God of the spirits of the prophets sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words and the prophecies of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I saw, heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. Then we read in verse 14 of chapter 22. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates of the city. Outside of the dogs and the sorcerers, the immoral persons, and the murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. Verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take of the water of life without cost. Okay. Heaven and earth. Obviously, the first thing I ask, I'm one of those type of people that if you say a new heaven and a new earth, I want to know what was the old heaven and the old earth. And if you say old heaven and old earth, I want to say, is there anything new? I'm just one of those inquisitive people. So the key here is we have to come to understand what heaven and earth is. New heaven, new earth. What is the new Jerusalem? What was the old Jerusalem? What was the old order, according to verse 4? What were the tears and the mourning and death and crying that were characteristics of the old order? What is that? That's what we have to find out. Because I believe that when we find out what those things are in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, we have found the good news. We have found the healing of the nations. As shocking as this might sound, I imagine not to any of you, but to those that might hear it, is I believe Revelation 21 and 22 is a reality now. I believe that's been fulfilled. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, 28 chapter verse 5, and 35 chapter verse 10, we learn that Christ was here to bear our sorrows and our tears and our mourning. That when Christ had come, the time of the Messiah, the time of restoration, the time of refreshing had come. Through the time of the Messiah, the mourning and the crying and death would pass away. 
We know that those that believe in Jesus cannot die. We can merely fall asleep when we die. Now we don't even have that. We go from glory to glory upon death. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Amen? In contrast to the obsession with a new world, God destroying the planet, us living in some new bodies in some new place, I see this spiritual revelation depicting a spiritual reality. Understanding what heaven and earth is, a conversation we continually have here at Blue Point Bible Church, enables us to truly understand this text. Heaven and earth is a phrase that's used throughout the scripture to mean God's people, God's covenantal people. Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, is what Moses said as he spoke to the whole assembly of Israel. When Israel failed to walk worthy of their calling, God said, I am going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Israel was the apple of God's eye, his possession, his creation, his heaven and earth. Sadly, Israel was also foreknown to God that they would leave him. They left the Lord who made them, loved them, and established them. Israel sought other gods and determined for themselves what was right and wrong. This is what we might call self-righteousness. I declare for myself what is righteous, and I choose whether or not I want to obtain it. Self-righteousness. This is exactly what Eve did in regards to eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. She decided for herself what was right or wrong, desiring to be like God. The garden story is an illustration of what we will do if we are left to our own devices. Sure enough, Adam and Eve, even after they ate of the fruit that they were commanded not to, or Adam was commanded not to, they decided to figure out how they would cover themselves with fig leaves, is what Scripture says. They decided what would be the proper way to cover up this mistake, this sin. How many times do we often try to cover up our own sins and come up with our own ways to cover our sins? But now, God is creating a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. A righteousness sought by man for himself. Not a righteousness of that nature. Not a righteousness where man will cover himself. Instead, a God-provided covering done by the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you know the difference between the garden account and the revelation account? For example, God provided a covering in both, right? Man's access is restored to the tree of life. In Revelation. Through Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to the tree of life. God provided a covering for Adam and Eve, but then kicked them out of the garden, removing their access to the tree of life. That's the beginning of the story. The man in his sin cannot have eternal life, even if he has a God-provided covering. That was Israel. That was Israel's story. They had a God-provided covering, the Old Covenant. But what the Old Covenant could not do, Jesus did. Through Jesus Christ, we are able to freely partake of the tree of life, giving us abundant and eternal life, the healing of the nations. The leaves of the tree will be for the healing of the nations. Remember that as I preach tonight. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 through 27, we read a very symbolic telling of no more temple, the lamb being the light, the gates of this new Jerusalem are open all day. Understand, reading that and being honest with ourselves, we would have to admit this is a very Jewish story. The Jews were the ones with the temple, right? The Jews were the ones in Jerusalem. As I discussed in my sermon this morning here at Blue Point Bible Church, we must understand the story of Israel in order to understand the gospel message. The gospel message was the hope of Israel. We must understand their story, what they were yearning for, what they were groaning toward. What did they want? 
Jesus Christ came to fulfill the promises that were given to the fathers of Israel. This is explained in Romans chapter 9 and 15. Through Jesus Christ, the relationship that was exclusive to Israel was now having an effect on the nations and otherwise, the otherwise, those otherwise known as the Gentiles. These groups hated each other. Christ is the peace that brings these two together. We read about this in Ephesians chapter 2. Revelation chapter 21 and 22 is a symbolic illustration of the Gentiles now having a place in the new heavens and new earth. The gates are open to them. And since there is no temple where only the Jews were allowed, because the Lamb is the temple, and the Gentiles have a place in the Lamb. This was a, this was a, see the key? This was a very Jewish story. The good news is that now all nations have a place in this. If they simply accept the work of Jesus Christ as the Messiah of Israel. Due to faulty interpretations, many so-called Christians have clung to a view that teaches one day God will intervene and clean up this messy world. That's the solution. God will fix this mess. We've all seen the movies. We've all heard the cataclysmic tales of destruction. Horror stories really are bestsellers, huh? See, I like the story of renewal. I like stories that inspire us to dream. But I will admit there is nothing worse than clinging to a false hope to get you through a seemingly hopeless situation. I'm not here tonight to give you that type of change, to give you a kind of a cover-up for your hopeless situation. That's not what Christianity is offering. Instead, I want to offer you what I call a true and reasonable hope, a hope that you will have a place in. The Apostle Paul made it very clear that his gospel, which means good news, was the hope of Israel, the hope of the resurrection to judgment, the hope that was explained and exhibited throughout the Law and the Prophets. Tracing the problem all the way back to Adam, the hope was that one day the people of God would be declared righteous again, to be brought in full relationship with God, full right standing, we might call it, and have allowed access to the tree of life, receiving that abundant life, that life to the full. Matter of fact, Jesus himself said, I have, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Let's review Romans chapter 8 for a moment. I'm going to read, kind of bounce through the chapter here. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 1. For the law of the spirit of life is, is Christ Jesus and has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. What law are we speaking about here? The law of Moses. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mindset on flesh is death. The mindset on the spirit is life because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, through the body, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. We're going to stop there for a moment. If you notice one thing, we're com what are we comparing and contrasting? The two laws. The law of sin and death, the law of Moses, the law that could not make you perfect, the law of the spirit, law of life through Jesus Christ. We're comparing the flesh 
the law of Moses with the spirit, the law of liberty, the law of Christ. That's our comparison here. What the one could not do, the next would. Would give you life. Christ would give you life. I'm going to go into verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption in the freedom and the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the fir- been the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But what, ho- what is hope? But what hope that is seen is not hope? For who hopes for what he already sees? Let me read that one more time. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Okay. The first thing is obviously we talked about the two laws. Getting the context of those two laws is important. Also, when the Apostle Paul speaks about the sufferings of this present time in verse 18, he's talking about a very real suffering. The persecution that was happening in that transition time from A.D. 33 to A.D. 70. Also, the receiving of glory is equated with the manifestation of the sons of God. That's what we're dealing with here. And I don't believe the creation here is talking about cockroaches yearning for the revealing of the sons of God. The trees outside waiting to see who the sons of God are. I'm sorry, I don't believe that the trees or the cockroaches or the cats in my house really care who the sons of God are. Instead, it was those that were bound by the law of sin and death that were yearning for, hoping for, desiring to know who the sons of God were. Because I'll tell you what, when God's judgment comes, as Israel always knew, you wanted to make sure you were on the side of God. You wanted to make sure you were on the revealing of the sons of God, not the sons of perdition as we see contrasted in Scripture. The sons of the evil one, as Jesus spoke about. Who are the sons of God? And sure enough, in that generation, something is going to happen. What we know as A.D. 70, the destruction of that city and that temple, the judgment that came upon those people, the coming of the Lord, would make very clear who the sons of God are. The goal of the New Covenant saints was revealing of the sons of God. This was equated to the adoption of sons, the redemption of the body. This is placed opposite to deliverance from bondage and slavery of the corruption of the Old Covenant. They wanted to be brought out of the Old Covenant. Remember, it was Israel's story. It was a Jewish story. Only now, in the New Testament, is it starting to have a place with the Gentiles. I must stop there to make a point. If you did not attend Blue Point Bible Church's services for the last week or this or Yesterday, yesterday, today being Sunday, you missed my preaching about understanding the narrative of Scripture. We must, we must understand the story of Israel. We must understand what their circumstances were, why they groaned, and in understanding that, we can find out what they groaned for. Also, recently, this passage was brought to me as a charge against the fulfilled hope. 
the verse I read again before you, for you. Romans chapter 8, verse 24. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? I've got a question. Did you come here tonight hoping to hear a good message? And after you hear this message tonight, which I hope fulfills the requirements of a good message, will you be without hope? If I fulfill your hope, then do I negate your hope? Or rather, would you be living in the reality of a fulfilled hope? In contrast to the way many poorly handle the scriptures, I have no problem explaining from scripture and being glad that the hope of Israel is now fulfilled. When I read through that verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 24, I am also reminded of the mindset the Apostle Paul displayed in 1 Corinthians 15 when he said, when he was speaking about those who had fallen asleep and would be raised up with Christ, the Apostle says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all people to be pitied of all men. I imagine that many understand that to be speaking about the afterlife. I differ. I believe the Apostle is making the case for a hope in contrast to life under the law of Moses, which in verse 56 he makes very clear brings forth sin and death. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56, he explains that sin comes by the law and, by, and death by sin. These are all characteristics of that old covenant. Remember when we were reading Revelation chapter 21 and 22 before, and I said we have to understand what that old order was. The old order that was characterized by mourning, sin, death, Crying, pain, sorrow. In Paul's day, there was a strong stance that the law of Moses was there to stay. The temple depicted the reality, this strong temple, this pride that took so long to build and stands for us. Unless God did something, we are God's chosen people. That was the attitude of the Pharisees and Sadducees in that first century period. He sure did something through the Babylonians when Israel went astray in 586 B.C., In a method of judgment, God sent the Babylonians into Jerusalem to enslave the people and destroy the temple. Oh, the misery this brought. This was understood by an Israelite to be death. Our God hates us. Now, in the first century, the people of Judah had killed the Messiah, the Son of God. What would this judgment look like? Jesus clearly tells them their temple is about to be destroyed. However, there were many following after Hymenaeus and Philetus in that first century, leading many people astray by saying the resurrection had already occurred. The temple still stood, therefore this Jesus must have been false. And the temple and the sacrificial system still stood. Obviously urging many to reject the tale of the Christians that judgment was coming. And the resurrection, the right standing would occur. That's what the Christians believed. No, that wasn't right. What they believed was going to happen was this is the right way to be a part of God's covenant. Stay under law, the law of Moses. Be circumcised and follow every jot and tittle of the law. So the Apostle Paul accounts, if this, what we see, what we now have is all that we have, oh, pity us. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Hmm. I don't know if it's a coincidence that the tree of life is mentioned there. That was the hope of the ancients, that they would be restored back to the way Adam had it before he sinned. That was Israel's story. They understood that very well, that Adam was a depiction of them. 
They were given a God-providing covering, but they still were not allowed access to the tree of life. Only through Jesus Christ would access be gained. The gospel that Jesus and the apostles preached had nothing to do with physical death. Adam did not die physically in the day he ate of the tree. He died spiritually, covenantal death. He was cut off from the presence of God, given a covering, but pushed out of the garden no longer to eat of the tree of life. Samuel G. Dawson argues, not only were Adam and all living creatures and living souls before Adam sinned, also subject to death before he sinned, after his creation, God placed Adam in the garden and gave him access to the tree of life to sustain his life. This fact alone tells us he wasn't immortal, but subject to death before he sinned. Dr. Kelly Nelson Burks explains physical death in this way. Physical death is not a result of the fall of Adam. Adam was designed to physically die according to Genesis chapter 3, verse 19 and Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Because man was taken from the ground before the fall had occurred, then to the ground or dust he was always destined to return. Yes, physical death is natural. Physical death is not a result of the fall of Adam. Adam was designed to physically die. And that's it. Think about it. If physical death was the punishment for sin, after we have been completely forgiven by Christ's atoning work, why do we still die? What more needs to be paid for? What did Christ accomplish if he paid for our sins and yet we still pay the penalty? Instead, through Jesus Christ, we are given eternal and abundant life, full fellowship with God. The mourning and the crying and the death that was characteristic of the old covenant has passed away. A life free of condemnation, a life free of worrying whether or not we have made God mad in whatever sin we commit. Instead, we rely on the righteousness of Christ. Many will ask, as I conclude, well then, Pastor Mike, what about after we biologically die? Well, great question. We know that the dead ones of Israel, who had been dead some five to six, no, no not five, six thousand years, uh, the dead of Israel had been dead for about, what is it, two thousand, three thousand years maybe, um, to the, into the time of Christ. And yet they were affected by the work of Christ. They were raised out of Hades and went into the presence of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, we learned that the dead ones also have a place in the work of Christ. We know that through Christ, we who believe in his sacrifice cannot die. Therefore, something awaits us. I'm just not quite sure what it looks like. You know how I fix that for everybody? Has God disappointed you yet? The gospel message, the hope of Israel is a story of right standing. I ask you to consider tonight, where are you standing? If you're in the garden... What covering do you have? Are you covered with fig leaves, the things of your own righteousness, what you've deemed worthy to cover you? Or are you wearing the God-provided covering? Are you clothed with the robe that allows you to have the right to enter into the gates of the kingdom of God, the new Jerusalem? I'll tell you why that's so important, to understand where you're standing. When brought into right standing, we are the solution. We are the healing of the nations. The leaves of the tree will be used for the healing of the nations. If you think about this, a tree requires water and sunlight to live, right? And we know that in this city, as Revelation 21 and 22 tell us, that the lamb is 
the light, and the lamb is obviously the water of life. And that's what gives the tree of life its nutrients, is the lamb. Right? It's, it all comes together. I would say that the, the water of life is the lamb. The tree is the lamb, even still. It's all Christ. It's, it's a metaphorical imagery depicting the truth and the reality of the new covenant in Christ. But follow me here. So if the water and the sun are Jesus and they supply the nutrients to the tree of life, which gives us eternal life, and the leaves of the tree, the product of Christ's work, is for the healing of the nations, are you not the product of Christ's work? Is not the body of Christ the product of Christ's work, continuing to do Christ's work? healing the nations. We are the leaves of the tree. So, I want to share some stories with you real quickly about how we can be the leaves of the tree in this world. When you clothe yourself with Christ, we put on everything he is. It's worth reiterating, I'm going to read you from some quotes from the book Jesus for President by Shane Claiborne. It's worth reiterating that the basis for living out the ethics of Jesus in this world is not that it works, but that it's the way God is. We are not promised that everything was going to turn out perfect. Look at the cross. Look at how the story ends for the apostles. It's ugly. If there is anything we can learn from our history, as writer G.K. Chesterton says, it's that we are to be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and constantly in trouble. And in the end, love wins. I think I got the constantly in trouble part better than the rest of them. In an age of violence and terror, it's important not just to live well, but to die well. We are not called to simply live like Christ, but we are called to die like Christ. And he died loving. The heroes of our faith, John the Baptist, Jesus, the Apostles, Stephen, Ignatius, Maximilian, Colby, Perpetua, Felicitas, all the way down to Matthew Fox and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. These are not heroes, but martyrs. Martyr means witness. And their witness ripples through our day. They are not people who died killing, but people who died loving. And they were slaughtered as they looked on the face of evil people and said, God loves you. Hmm. Wow. Consider the Amish when somebody invaded their private land and shot up their children in a schoolhouse. How did the Amish respond? They forgave with a radical forgiveness that this world does not know. They even paid for the funeral of the man who shot their children, cared for the family, forgave the family. What happens when the church starts to do stuff like that? That's healing. That is healing. There's an old story of a bishop whose cathedral was about to be robbed. The bandits demanded, demanded the treasures of the church. So the bishop went in the shelter, gathered up the poor, and said, these are the treasures of the church. The bandits left empty-handed that night. Hmm. Talking about peculiarity often raises the question of whether Christians can hold certain jobs. As activist theologian Brian Walsh once said, a Christian can hold any job, but if they act as Christians, they will simply need to be ready to be fired within a few weeks, especially if they are commander-in-chief of the largest military in the world. We should be more concerned about identifying the radical spirit of love that must permeate every disciple's journey than about making a list of kosher Christian jobs. The other day we met, and I want you to listen to these stories of some of these people. These are people that are being the healing of the nations. 
The other day we met a robotics engineer who used to make robots just to impress people. But then he started thinking about his purpose in this world and God's dream for the world. He's still a robot, robotic engineer, but a different kind. He designs robots to dismantle landmines so kids can, different countries like Afghanistan can play without worrying about getting blown up. Before the robots came, many of the landmines were being dismantled by little kids who were paid next to nothing and often had their hands blown off. He's a missional robotics engineer disarming the world for Jesus. Another friend, a massage therapist, she could be making $100 an hour giving massages to rich folks. But she says there are plenty of massage therapists who do that. She lives near the poor and homeless. She knows plenty of people whose feet are, are their transportation. And she is friends with women involved, involved in sex trafficking who have walked the red light district all night. These people are tired, have sore feet, and no massage therapist to offer them services until now. Every week she opens up her home to them, washes their feet with the most delicate and deliberate touch, and gives them the best foot massage money cannot buy. Another one's a married couple who was so deeply disturbed about the conflict between Israel and Palestine, but they weren't sure how to stop complaining about the way things are and wanted to start living the way things should be. So they just went there. They were business entrepreneurs. So as they built relationships with the Palestinian people, they saw the need for jobs. They started a fair trade t-shirt company that employs nearly 100 Palestinians with dignity and hope. It may not be what their parents expected them to do with an Ivy League business degree, but they make it possible to imagine another world in the Holy Land. There's a group of jewelers in the United Kingdom, many of whom had been business folks in the world's marketing, market economy. The jewelry industry is notoriously wicked, often called the blood diamond market, responsible for significant human suffering around the world as workers shed blood, tears, and their very lives mining gems and precious metals that, can't, that they can't even afford to buy. Many of these business folks in the United Kingdom found their faith colliding with the industry. You know, the good old can't-serve-God-and-mammon thing. Rather than just abandon the industry, they decided to transform it, practicing resurrection, as we like to say. They traveled to Bolivia, Colombia, and across Africa, finding the people who work in the diamond industry. They built personal relationships with them and pioneered an incredible jewelry business called Cred. As we met in their store in England, one of the founders said to me, Cred, can you imagine... The feeling of satisfaction when you put your wedding band on someone, knowing that the moment it was mined, from the moment it went from the mine to your finger, every worker was treated with dignity and respect. <laughs> Glory to God. That's the healing of the nations. That's what we're called to be. Called to practice resurrection. Another way we can practice resurrection for those that are worried about environmental issues. We can be the answer to that. Shane Claiborne lives in Philadelphia. And he talks about practicing resurrection or making ugly things beautiful. They talk about using the trash of a disposable society, doing dumpster diving, finding food, at pot, bringing food to potlucks, vegetarian, vegan, or rescued, meaning it came from the trash. In their gardens, you'll find old refrigerators serving as compost bins, veggies growing out of toilets and tires, gutted computers and TVs converted into flower pots. One of the most revolutionary practices you can participate in in this regard is growing your own food. Healing the nations. A chaplain one day got a job in a federal prison. And he started to be really disturbed by the way the prison system was. Did you know that correctional facility actually means that prisons were originally intended to reform the person, correct the person. They were never meant to be a warehouse for people in dungeons of despair. Prison rooms are called cells. Prisons were to be monasteries of sorts where people could be with God in solitary confinement. This chaplain got a vision from God one day and turned a prison into a monastery. He began a 30-day silent retreat with 10 men at a time. 
On these retreats, the men became like a family of monks. They confessed their sins. They contemplated the passion of Christ with the cross in a waste room. So the men could go there and be with Jesus at the cross and think of the smell and the stench of sin that put Christ on the cross. Then they experienced the cleaning and the burning of their list of sins. Then they turned their jail cell into a monastic cell. Each cell has an altar in it. The prisoners have become monks. Glory to God. I say all that to say this. Conversion. It's a shame that a few conservative evangelicals have had a monopoly on the word conversion. Some of us shiver at the word, but conversion means to change, to alter, to make something look different than it did before. Like conversion vans or converted currency. We need conversion in the best sense of the word. People who are marked by the renewing of their minds and their imaginations, who no longer conform to the pattern that is destroying our world. Otherwise, we have only believers, not converts. And believers are a dime a dozen nowadays. What the world needs is people who believe so much in another world that they cannot help but enact it. We can be the healing of the nations. We can. We've been raised up for that purpose. That's what the body of Christ is called to. So I'll tell you this. If you get on the email list, my email is ChristianityGoneWild at Yahoo.com. If you get on my email list, I will be giving you a more detailed blog about the biblical hope later this week. Also... In April here at Blue Point Bible Church, we're going to be going through what exactly is the resurrection of the dead. What did it mean then and what does it mean for us now? We're going to be going through that as well. I thank you all for taking your time to be here tonight and also listening to the podcast if that's how you're doing this. And I pray that we continue to be the healing of the nations. Thank you.